you can have a relationship with a drug addict. You can have a relationship with somebody who even abuses you. But if they're lying, there is no relationship because there's no trust there. And you're not in a relationship with the real them anyway. You're in a relationship with whatever image they're projecting. I used to go hunting with a guy who would tell me, I only read the Bible, you know, and and I, I loved hunting with the guy, but I never connected with him. And I have no idea who he is. Then he gets caught with a prostitute. <laughs> you know, the, the first thing I thought when I heard that he'd gotten caught with a prostitute, I literally thought, good, we can be friends now. We can be friends now. Like, yeah, now I know who you are. Like, let's talk and let's not try to impress each other. Top leaders, meaningful conversation, actionable advice, bulldoze complacency, ignite inspiration, create impact. Produced by Southwestern Family of Companies. This is the Action Catalyst. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. The author that you're about to hear from is Donald Don Miller. And some of you have probably, many of you have probably heard of, of uh, some of his other books. He's written several books. His most famous book is Blue Like Jazz, and it's sold well over a million and a half copies. He sold millions of books. Let's put it that way. And so, Don, thank you for being here, brother. I'm so excited about this. Thanks for having me. So I want to dive right in. Why do you think it is so hard to just open up and allow ourselves to be known by other people or fully known, as you say? Well, I think... um... You know, it, it, we live in a day and age where it's easy to project an image, especially uh, with social media. We can project an image on uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter and all this kind of stuff. And then when we actually are in person, we've got this image that we've projected in the back of our brain. And so we try to keep it going, right? And it's hard to do that in person because we're not always in the coolest place and we're in the coolest clothes or hanging out with the coolest people. And so to, to, to let people know that you're normal can be scary. But that's the only way we connect. I mean, it's you know, it's the difference between people being impressed with us and people knowing us. You know, I got married pretty late. I remember a year into our marriage, and Betsy and I had a really great first year. We had about 120 overnight guests in our house. We wow. traveled, and we we just had a great time. The company was growing around us, and really fun. And almost no arguments. You know, we're just not the type. I've had plenty of relationships where I argue all the time. Whatever reason, Betsy and I just don't don't do it. And uh, I'm laying in bed one night and I'm Betsy's asleep and I'm praying and I'm thinking, okay, what's the theme of the second year, right? What do, what do I want the theme to be of my second year of marriage? And I really just felt like God was saying, why do you let her get to know you? <laughs> wow. The second year of marriage, right? Why don't you let her get to know you? And uh, it wasn't like, you know, he was being a jerk or anything. And it, I just realized, wow, I, I still, I'm still putting on a a, uh, an act a little bit for my wife to some degree, right? I mean, there are things that I was sort of, a, that, that I hadn't told her about in my life, uh, moments of failure that she didn't know about that mm. I, you know, I assumed she wouldn't like me anymore. No, not, I, I didn't assume that. I just wanted her to be impressed, right? I, I assumed she wouldn't be impressed. And so I think it's true in minor ways, even in just close friendships and family. And there's something really, you know, we risk uh, rejection when we let people get to know us. And it's not just this decision to be known. I think a lot of us, including me, don't even really know how to do it, right? We don't know how we don't know how to be known. And what happens is we end up in a room full of people that know us uh, and yet still feel isolated. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's damage there. There's there's uh, when whenever we're isolated, uh, 
bad things grow. And by bad things, I mean insecurities and even temptations and all that kind of stuff. It's uh, it's not helpful. Wow. I, I mean, just there's, there's so many big ideas in there. Talk about the self, shame, and the act. Kind of these. Yeah. Talk about that. Well, I have a friend named Bill Loki, and he's a clinical psychologist at a at a place called Onsite. And it sounds really rehabby, but it's actually not. It's a really great place where a bunch of the, uh, executive types go to to get their stuff figured out so they can be better leaders. But he he kind of sat me down and he said, you know, Don, um, every person is born a self, right? And so he drew a little circle on a napkin and he wrote the word self inside the circle. He said, this is you. And then he said, at some point, every human being, as they grow up, they learn uh, a kind of lie that uh, they're not enough, that there's something wrong with them. And, uh, you know, who knows what that could be? Yeah, they're, you know, missed kicking a ball on the kickball field or something like that. Uh, But he said that that causes them to cover their or to feel a sense of shame and so he he drew another circle around the self circle so he's making kind of a target and in that second circle he wrote shame and he said so we're feeling this kind of shame and then he said another thing happens after we discover shame and we tend to something happens in our life where we succeed a little bit or we get some attention that we want so you know you hit a uh, a home run and a in a softball game when you're a kid and you realize that, it, that you're good, you're good at athletics and that you matter because you're a good athlete. And you, and so he said, we draw this third circle around shame. So we've got a three circle target here. And then he wrote the word, you know, good at athletics or smart or whatever. And that tends to be the, you know, the costume that we wear, uh, in order to cover shame. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he said, the problem with all that is people get to know this costume right? and they don't ever get to know the self. And so one of the things that in the book that I just made this conscious decision to do was to just tell the casual reader, here's who I really am. And I don't, I'm not a big fan of airing all your dirty laundry. I think there's some wisdom to being careful who you share your, your vulnerabilities with because not everybody is trustworthy. And so it wasn't like I was, t- you know, telling everything, but I-, I just went back into my elementary school days and talked about where I discovered shame. And, you know, I remember when I wrote that, the story is of me uh, having a small bladder and wetting my pants in elementary school. That's mm-hmm. the story I tell in the book. I remember where I wrote that story and how, you know, it was a really hard thing for me to write, not because I didn't trust the reader, but it was just a, a painful moment for me to go back in time and realize, well, wow, there's this this kind of shame wound back there that I never fully processed that from an early age, when kids are learning the things uh, about life, I learned I wasn't good enough and I needed to hide. And what was really cool about it from Bill's perspective, my psychologist friend, is he said, well, you know, now that you're an adult, you can actually kind of, you, you know, it's called the story mapping. You kind of map out, you, you reframe the narrative in your brain and you sort of realize, you know, if, if the adult you could walk up to the kid you in that moment, how, first of all, kind of silly the moment is, how it's not that big of a deal. Right. It, and you would say to the kid, hey, you realize everything's going to be all right, right? Like, this isn't, a, this isn't a defining thing. There's no reason to feel shame about this. In fact, 
this is the sort of thing you could grow up and be a comedian and talk about it and make a lot of money, right? right. So, uh, and, you, and it's it's amazing how healing that experience is because I think so many of us, just the way our brains work, you know, we get programmed to walk around with this shame, and you sit and think about it, and you realize that's just dumb. Why am I feeling shame about that? That's if my child did that, uh, I would have such a sympathetic, compassionate perspective on them that I that I'm unwilling to give to myself and and so that was a real healing thing for me but I think a lot of people you know we walk around and we meet folks especially really successful folks um uh they can they can they've lived off that third uh circle of putting up an uh, an image for so long that they they don't even realize they know they don't even realize who they are anymore mm-hmm. and uh, I remember a buddy of mine another counselor here in town he counsels uh a lot of musicians singer songwriters a lot of people who are famous and he had he had one guy sit down during a rebranding phase in his career where he was moving from country music to some other kind of music and al said well which one is more like you like which one is you and he said man i i don't i forgot who i was a long time ago i don't know if i'm the country guy or the rock guy i don't know (laughs) yeah a lot of us are like that in life too we live in this world where we can't survive without being that act right yeah, well, you can't survive, you can't, you know, succeed. We can't get some of that stuff that we want. And those of us, and I don't know if you're like this, but I am. You know, I bought into the lie early on that if I'm not successful, people won't 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 care about me. Mm-hmm. And so, winning is really important. And I'm not especially a competitive person, uh, but I'm competitive with myself. Right? I know what my potential is, and it bothers me when I don't reach it and yeah. give it a day. But there's this lie behind that where it says, you know you know, they're going to leave you if you, if you're not successful. Right. And, uh, and ultimately that there's, there's just no truth to that. Uh, and, and so I think part of the reason that we get exhausted doing this is because we think, uh, they're going to leave us if we don't, when really what pe- the people who connect best are people who are free to be themselves and okay with who they are. Because if you're okay with who you are, you, you make me really comfortable. And I get the sense that I'm going to be okay with who I am. But if you walk into the room and you're the kind of person who, Hey, I only matter if I succeed. What I think is, well, you're only going to like me if I succeed. And so I can only spend limited amount of time with you because I can't keep up the act. And, you know, we've all met people like that where it's really hard just to get real with them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and ultimately you just, you kind of, you need a, you need a break. And so I, I, it was so comforting, you know, for me to make a conscious decision to cut that stuff out. And, uh, and it's not a hundred percent cut out, but, um, uh, it's it's just easier. It's easier to just be myself and write the things I want to write and do the things I want to do and say the things I want to say. And a lot of that, I think, comes with just getting older, too, you know? I want to just have you fill in the blank. There was a line that you said. It said, the most powerful and attractive person we can become is the person we... Already are. Already are. You know, the, I, I checked into this therapeutic retreat center called Onsite that I just talked about, and... Um, it's a really great place. I, I highly recommend it for everybody listening. If you if you're trying to figure something out, uh, or if you're just feeling exhausted, uh, and what it is is it's 40 people go through a program called Living Centered. The 40 people are broken up into groups of 10 and do some group therapy uh, for one week. But during that week, you can't tell anybody your last name and you can't tell anybody what you do. It was unbelievable. It was like. I wanted to tell everybody I'm a writer. And if you would have asked me the day before, Don, do you think your identity is is caught up in the fact that you're a writer? I said, no way. I mean, I don't care about that. It's just what I do. I hardly ever talk about it. And sure enough, you know, uh, somebody seemed really 
in control and uh, and somebody I wanted to get to know and wanted to like me. And on the tip of my tongue would be, well, I'm a writer. I'd be trying to drop it into conversations. And I realized, well, oh, wait, you can't. You can't say that. You can't let anybody know that. And I thought, holy crap, I am so caught up in what I do wow. as is who I am. And even then, over the course of the week, um, I mean, I sat there feeling like I've got this ace card and all these people would really like me and want to talk to me and I can't use it. And the reality is they don't want to talk to me. I'm sitting here eating lunch alone and I've got an ace card I can't use. So why in the world do I actually matter? Like, is this, is this the real me, the loser eating lunch alone? Is this, <laughs> oh is this who I really am without my costume? Oh my and then slowly as the week went on, I had real conversations with people about, you know, my childhood and about my relationships. And then somebody, you know, over lunch heard me talk about something and they kind of went, wow, you know, that was a hard moment. And that comment made me feel really cared about. And I thought, so this is the difference between people caring about you and people being impressed by you. And I got to mm -hmm. tell you, being cared about was like eating really nutritious food. And be, people being impressed was like eating junk food. And I'd been on a diet of junk food for so long. And uh, man, it, you know, it was life changing for me. And I really came out of there going, um, I, this is what I want. You know, I want, I don't, I want to eat nutritious food from here on out. And, you know, you go back and forth. Of course, you're standing in front of a lot of people and they've paid to hear you talk. You, you have a professional obligation to be impressive. You know, I mean? Like you need to make them laugh and, yeah. and inspire them. That's your obligation. But, you know, you step off the stage and, uh, and, uh, that it doesn't feed you anymore. And you, you, you've got to actually have real connection with real people. And I think it comes from, uh, this conscious decision of I'm, I'm going to try not to be impressive here. And, you know, and the other thing is, and this was the year, I've got a buddy, Bob Goff, who is a, a author and an inspirational guy. And Bob, um, he actually has a New York Times bestselling book and he put his phone number in the back of the book and people call him. And he, he says all the time, you know, you've got to be accessible. You've got to be accessible to people. And I just completely disagree with him. I, I was like, if I'm accessible, I'm, I'm never going to get anything done. Right. And, this year, I just said, you know what? I think I'm going to allow myself to be interrupted and have my day hijacked a little more often and just see what happens. What I discovered was, you know, and I've got a great staff and, and there's a lot of ways that I can get things done while being interrupted. Um, I discovered I'm getting more done and, and more connected. And um, that's not for everybody. Uh, but I think this year is a year where I'm, I'm just being willing to kind of do that a little bit more. And, um, I don't know. It, you know, it's a it's a it's an interesting transition in life to have built a life being impressive and realize you're feeling alone, and now to want to uh, to, to deeply want to connect with people and consider that a priority. Um, I can tell you emotionally and even physically, I'm probably healthier than I've been in a long time. So there's a there's some benefits to it. So I want to talk about the corrective pattern of some of this stuff. You know, you talked about how you know, people caring about you is like eating healthy food. People being impressed by you is like eating junk food. And, um, I mean, there's this whole, this whole risk of intimacy and being known and allowing people in the, you know, the big theme, how do you tell the difference between enablement with somebody and grace? Well, I think there are different kinds of relationships, right? So with family, uh, it's grace to the end. And, uh, you know, we, we, that doesn't mean you, you you allow our kids or or even our, our significant others to to be awful to us or whatever. But you just keep turning the other cheek. 
over and over and over. Uh, I, I think, um, you know, I had it, it when in professional relationships, we've talked, we talk about this often as I run a company of, you know, when do you just, when do you not show grace and when, or when do you, when do you show grace, but let somebody go or whatever. And I, I, the clarity in my mind comes from an interview I did years ago with Pete Carroll. Pete and I got out a couple hours alone in his office there in Seattle. And, um, we, we talked a little bit about leadership and one of the things I asked him, cause he is, he's amazing at taking somebody who other people don't see the potential in and he develops, develops them. Yeah. Yeah. Russell Wilson is an example of that. The guy, the guy was a great quarterback, but nobody saw that in him and he turned him into a Super Bowl winning quarterback almost twice. And, um, but he's also had to let some guys go. And, uh, and so I said, listen, what do you, what, you know, uh, are you willing to throw a guy a rope? You know, we were sitting on the edge of the uh, of Lake Washington there in his office. He's got a corner office that overlooks a practice field in Lake, in Lake Washington. There were some boats out there. And I said, do you ever throw a guy a rope? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, if, if somebody on my team is hurting or struggling or even bringing other guys down or costing us, I definitely throw him a rope. And uh, I said, what do you do if they don't take the rope? He says, I throw him another rope, Don. And I said, what do you do if they don't take that rope? He says, I throw him another rope. You know, and I was like, wow, this guy's running a football team. And he said, you know, ask me again. And I said, okay, what do you do with that take third row? He goes, I let him drown. Hmm. And I thought, that's really fascinating. You know, he, he gives you a few tries, and then he he decide, he realizes this person is trying to drown. That's their, that's what they're trying to do. That has nothing to do with me. Uh, that's their decision. And so he's he's got this great relationship between showing grace and developing guys and not being codependent. Not and, and realizing this is their life, this is the decision that they want to make, and they need to make it, and they need to feel the consequences in order to develop as a human being, and he's not going to get in the way of them suffering the consequences of their actions. Mm. So, um, I, I so different relationships have different, you know, uh, ways of of enabling. I'll tell you that you know in the book I've got this chapter called Five Kinds of Manipulators. And one of the things I learned in relationships early on is there are some people who just are deciding not to make themselves compatible to have a good, healthy relationship. And, you know, uh, my friend Henry Cloud is a, is a psychologist and a great writer. He says, the only person that you can't have a relationship with is with somebody who's deceptive. And I thought, man, that's really true. You can have a relationship with a drug addict. You can have a relationship with somebody who even abuses you. But if they're lying, there is no relationship. Um, because there's no trust there and you're not in a relationship with the real them anyway. You're in a relationship with whatever image they're projecting. Mm -hmm. I remember I used to go hunting with a guy who would tell me, he's a good Christian guy, church guy. And he'd tell me, you know, Don, I don't read your books. You know, I, I, uh, I, I only read the Bible, you know? And, and I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. I don't know anybody who does that. Right. But <laughs> talk about, you know, I like riding around my tractor, listening to praise music and blah, blah, blah. And, and I, I loved hunting with the guy. I mean, he was a really fun guy and good guy and really successful. I learned a lot from him. But I never connected with him. I mean, I just, it was like, man, I could spend, I spend weeks with this guy and I have no idea who he is. And all I know is he's impressive from a religious standpoint. Then, it, you know, then he gets caught with a prostitute, right? Uh -huh. And everything unravels and he's got to go through all these programs and all this kind of stuff. And you know, the, the first thing I thought when I heard that he'd gotten caught with a prostitute? I have no idea. I, I literally thought, good, we can be friends now. Uh, right? 
like we can be friends now. Like now I know who you are. Wow. You know who I am. Like let's talk and let's not try to impress each other. So I and I think the reality is he really was a good guy. He probably really did only read the Bible and he probably really did liking like to ride around on his tractor and listen to praise music. Sure. And he liked some other stuff that he wasn't talking about and it stayed in isolation and so it grew. Yeah. And um, so I think it's really important, especially for those of us who a lot of people depend on us and look to us for examples. Uh, I think it's important that, you know, we lose the battle to win the war. And here's what I mean by that. Um, I was I actually am a Republican. If I ever run for office, I'll run as a Republican. Uh, but uh, I I liked a lot of the stuff in the first Obama campaign. I liked uh, a lot of the stuff on fatherlessness really got me. And so actually defended him a couple times and I was in a debate with um the John McCain team public debate I was on Obama's team they had three representatives from the McCain team there about a thousand people in the audience wow and the guy that I was debating with on my side of the team was a civil rights lawyer who was uh who went on to be on Obama's staff as a very important member of Obama's staff and um he said to me before the debate he said listen um it's not important that we win this thing. And I said, well, what are you talking about? And I was like ramped up. You know, there were some big names. There were some big guys on the other side of the deal. Sure. And um, I, I wanted to win. And he said, he said, no, he's, you know, the, if you try to win this thing, you might say something and that would really cost the campaign a lot. And he said, here's what I'm saying. Be willing to lose this battle so that we can win the war. That's In other amazing. words, don't say anything on that stage and that microphone that's going to make CNN tonight and an Obama surrogate said this and cost us the entire war. If we lose this battle, it will not be on CNN, right? And so I think there's some, some you know, when we're sitting around a campfire at night, sometimes just as leaders, we need to lose the battle. We need to say, hey, you know, I'm uh, I'm not doing well in this area of my life. And, um, and what do you guys think about that? Well, that may cost you a little respect around that fire, but what you're not going to do is get caught with a prostitute and have it on the news that night because you're the you're a best-selling author and the owner of a big company. You, because because you lost the, the the battle, you talked about it. You right. were willing to cost yourself a little bit of respect and have people not be so impressed with you, so that you could move on and keep moving slowly into true integrity and and uh, and who we need to be as leaders. So, uh, I think uh, those are lessons that I'm I'm figuring out as I get older. Well, I love that line that deception in any form kills trust. And here's what we're going to do. We are out of time. Where do you want people to go to learn more about you? Oh, well, you can learn about my company and all we do at storybrand.com. We really didn't talk much about that. Um, Storybrand.com is is what I do. uh, And you can learn about that. Here is my last question. And this is one you're probably not prepared for. One of the things I loved most about you was the way that you talked about Betsy. At what point did you know that Betsy was the one you were going to marry? Well, uh, Betsy and I met four years before we started dating. And I I had not done a lot of the work I needed to do to be healthy. And so I immediately really liked her and also immediately felt this chasm between how just, uh, you know, I don't know if you mean to use economic languages, but how valuable she was as a woman and how I wasn't worthy of her, right? I and mean, I knew that. I knew that in my bones. That's not just me being humble. That was actually true. Uh, and did a bunch of work. And uh, then we we reconnected. 
And um, I remember we were in uh, Washington, D.C. She worked in Washington, D.C. And I was passing through town. And we got dinner one night. And she actually had a boyfriend. She was in and out of a relationship for three years. When we were having dinner, we were having dinner with a group. And I just remember thinking, this is this is the girl that I, I've liked her for a long time. I've done this work. I think I can keep doing work. And I don't think I'm going to be a bad guy for her. This is the girl that that I want. I want to marry this girl. It was, it was right when we reconnected. And so the other couple left the dinner and we kind of sat and kept talking. And I asked her, I said, you know, I mean, I knew her well enough to have a conversation like this. And I said, um, you know, are you seeing anybody? And she said, yeah, you know, I'm in a relationship. It's not great. Uh, he's doing a lot of work in Africa and he tends to be out of the country a lot. And I don't know what he wants. And he clearly wasn't making her feel good. So I said, listen, I'll give you 30 days to break up with him. I'm going to call you in 30 days. And, uh, I really want to start dating you. And <laughs> she just sort of sat there like, who in the world do you think you are? And But it, it did go cause her to go home and to her roommates and say, you wouldn't believe what this Donald Miller <laughs> And the, all her roommates kind of looked at her and said, um, he's right. <laughs> you need to break I up. I love that. And so 30 days later, I call her and uh, I'm like, uh, how you doing? She goes, well, I, I did break up with him. And slowly, you know, she started letting me date her. But I'll tell you the, the key to our relationship is, you know, there's really not a day that goes by that I don't realize I massively got the better end of the deal. I mean, massively. And I think that I think two people who think they got the better deal is the key to a healthy relationship. And it's, it's an important thing for you to realize that you're also blessing this other person right yeah it, it's true and that's another part of a healthy relationship is realizing not only am i getting a great deal here she's getting a good deal too i'm just getting the better deal yeah <laughs> you know, well but- a better person than i am I mean, I knew it right away. It took her a little while to figure it out, but I, <laughs> I I love it. Well, thanks for the work that you're doing and we appreciate you sharing your heart with us and, you know, just thank you for laying it out there. Thanks for having me. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe and to stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and on Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. And thanks for listening.